0: This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today, we're going to have what I'm quite sure is going to be one of the most remarkable shows that we've had in a very long time on Dreamland. We're talking about gray aliens and artificial intelligence, the battle between natural and synthetic beings for the human soul. By Nigel Kerner, we can't talk to Nigel because he has died, but we can talk to two people who knew him very well, Danielle Silverman, and worked with him, and Dr. Uh, Professor John Biggerstaff, who are with us today. Uh, Professor Biggerstaff is a has studied. Biochemistry in immunology. He has a PhD in cell biology and has worked with Nigel for 40 years. And Danielle has also a long association with him and a deep understanding of his work. Now, this is going to be an unusual show. We explore all aspects on Dreamland, Uh, we explore every part of this. But the interesting thing about this is you'll find, as I did, I think, if, you're, if you are a close encounter witness, a lot of things about what we, which we will talk about that seem surprisingly familiar. I'd like to welcome you both to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Whitley. A great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us on the show.
0: Well, thank you. And now let's talk a little bit first about Nigel uh who died just recently i believe he died this year or last year now in 2022 um and uh so can you tell us a little bit about him whoever just speak up whichever one of you wants to talk
1: yeah sure so uh nigel was an absolutely remarkable man uh he ba- he he was the author of three books And his first book came out in 1997, but all basically on the the overall subject of the alien phenomenon, but very much um, giving a whole existential picture of um, the reason for our existence here in the first place as human beings. And basically he explained um, the alien phenomena in the context of that overall existential view. Uh, And as a human being, Um, He was basically the most incredible person that I've ever met. Everyone who came across him um, was immediately um, blown away by his warmth, humanity. Uh, He changed so many people's lives for the better and and was quietly uh, doing a lot of charity work, uh, as well as authoring his three books. And um, thousands of people over the world have benefited um, from all of his actions.
0: How did he become interested in the Greys?
1: Good question. So, actually, um, it's a, a very interesting story um, that t- um, about his first um, interest in the alien phenomenon. What happened is his son, who was at the time twelve years old, um, said to him, uh, "Hey, Dad, are UFOs real?" And Nigel was sort of very science based. He trained as a doctor, as a, um, he was a medical student, and. He, he just didn't think that there was anything to this. He thought it was all science fiction. But he didn't like to dismiss his son's question because he was an intelligent boy. And in anyway, he had a philosophy that you've really got to respect children because they, you, ha, you have to give them full credit for their questions and not just dismiss anything they might say. So he decided he'd look into it properly and, uh, and give, get a proper answer to his dad's question. And he started to look into it, had a look at the research, um, read around it, started to think about it himself. And in his own words, it basically turned his life upside down. He he, he could see that this was without doubt a, a genuinely um, experienced phenomenon by very ordinary people who had, had no interest in uh, confabulating their witness reports. And... Uh, When he began to think about what the um, phenomenon might be, he came to some rather remarkable conclusions and he found that he couldn't just look at the phenomenon itself. He had to explain it in full context of why these uh, entities would be here in the first place, what their interests might be in us and what might be different between them and us in the first place. And it, it just led him down the rabbit hole into a, a very, very deep exploration of the very nature of our existence.
0: Well said, and I have to say that gray aliens and artificial intelligence certainly reflects that. It is a it is one vision of this very complex phenomenon. There are other visions, folks, as well, but this is the one we're exploring today, and. I want to, he, he started out or he came to a realization or a belief that these entities were not biological in, at their core. They may, may, may have been biomechanical in the sense of having biological aspects to their physical presence, but basically we were dealing with machines. Is that where he, am I write about that? That's where he came out. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And actually, I believe, although I'm not absolutely sure, but I believe in 1997, with his first book, Song of the Greys, he was the first author to suggest that actually these uh, alien visitors, at least the grey alien visitors, were not a biological, natural life form, but were some form of artificially intelligent robotic entity, albeit a a biological robotic entity. And and yes, that was indeed his conclusion. And actually, more recently, it would seem to be the case that many people are coming to that conclusion. And um, even um, Professor Stephen Hawking before he died, Paul Davis, uh, they've all suggested that if we were visited by another life form from another civilization from somewhere else in the universe, then it's most likely that such a life form would be artificially intelligent, wouldn't be a natural life form Because if if we look at our own trajectory of um, development technologically, uh, we are developing towards that kind of artificial intelligence now. And it would make sense that any entity with this kind of hugely advanced technology that they obvious, quite obviously have way beyond anything we can produce, would have gone beyond our level towards even further into artificial intelligence. And it would make sense that what they would send out would be some kind of. Programmed format of their um, nature as living beings that they would send out into the universe to somehow further that survival, find out more, find out about future uh, possible locations in which their existence only in a data format could persist, but Nigel Dudd did throw up the very um, interesting uh, question: Would they have be there to experience That data summary of themselves that they sent out into the universe? Would there be any consciousness? Would that go on to appreciate whatever these artificially intelligent envoys they sent out into the universe could find for them? And it's the answer to that question that's really at the kernel of his books.
0: Yes, and we're certainly going to explore it very thoroughly today. I would like to go to the. uh, I, I mentioned, are you familiar, I, I didn't see it mentioned in the book, the, I, the concept of the von Neumann machine that was pioneered by Dr. John von Neumann early on when he was first beginning to contemplate this whole area. Uh, because what you've done is you've described a von Neumann machine. I was very taken by his ideas and his work because i think he was exposed to this reality back in the in in the late 40s and early 50s when he was working on a scientific team uh, uh gathered by the air force to study this that's co- been called majestic 12 and all sorts of things but basically what his his idea was that a complete replication a duplication of a species of its entire content could conceivably be sent out around a galaxy to look for planets that it could inhabit. And now he, he also calculated the rate at which it would decay. And, and therefore that as the longer it lasted and the more the data, the older the data got, the more decay would occur. And distortions would appear in the uh, in the uh, in the program, and I, I think that having had a lot of personal experience with this myself, I, I'm very interested in the degree to which a machine could be a conscious being, and what they might be after here, um, John? You haven't spoken up yet, so let's. Right. Yeah, and I can see by your face you're interested in this question. So why don't yes. you give it a give it a, a a run?
2: Well, Nigel's main thesis throughout all of his books was really the the difference between that is that which is natural and that which is synthetic. So synthetic beings are really what we create with the parts in the universe the atomic matter uh, that that's really already degraded he talks about the second law of thermodynamics uh, which continuously de- degrades matter within the universe but the thing is it doesn't degrade the consciousness so he demarcates the, the universe into two separate parts um, one of which uh, in in which is the opposite the diametric opposite of the other so whereas in one place, things decay in the other place, things are together and are more ordered. And that is where he claims that consciousness resides. This consciousness, which must have been present to enable uh, at the beginning of the universe, uh, sets a track for all conscious being uh, to come to come through, which still has an origin to an ordering, um, an ordering symmetry. but. When we try to replicate that using uh, using matter, which has already um, become subject to the second law and it's actually decayed and broken up. It's impossible uh, in Nigel's thesis to to really put that back together again and retain this line that drives you back to the origin. And that, that's really his, his, his main thesis throughout all of this. And you can see how, how when he tries to write about it, the subject becomes larger and larger and larger. And sure you, this is why we've now got three books. And, you know, it, it's sometimes quite difficult to, to explain the entire concepts in a short time. But I think that's really the, the nub of it, the crux of it
0: one of the things we're going to be talking about a little later, I want to set the scene first, is their interest in the human soul. And I think it's terribly important that we understand this. And I, I believe that the, some of the material in the book, uh, is really very powerful plate. 21 of the plates I have looked at and thought about for hours because, uh, you know, I, I, I have seen, I saw my wife ascend after she died and she did not get caught. And we need to understand very clearly how this works into our own traditional understanding of the fate of souls after they leave the body, after they die, because it is connected. now. I'd like to go back and just briefly describe an experience I had in 1988 when I had been asking what I call the visitors to, I wrote a book called communion. I don't even, I'm not even sure you know that, but in any case, you you do. Okay. Um, So uh, I, I had been asking them to come and basically sit down and talk with me in my Innocence, then uh, I had, I was very innocent. I didn't, I didn't really have any, any idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And um, they did come and it signaled their presence in such a way that I knew they were there. It was just at the edge of dawn, just between night and daylight. And I went in down into the woods, but as I approached them, I could see them standing beside one of these big machines through the woods, and I could hear it idling too. It was there, no question. Um, I um, heard a voice in my head say, come on, come on, so roughly that it scared me, and I didn't go on. In fact, I went back to the house, and this is the part I want to discuss. When I put my hand on the doorknob, there came three cries from above the woods that were the most extraordinary sounds I've ever heard. They were first so perfectly spaced my ear had never heard anything like that before and i love classical music and it was a year before even the best played bach didn't sound muddy simply because of the perfection of those three tones second it the tones were enormously emotionally rich they were very emotional they, they they communicated such a complex range of emotions so you have machine-like perfection and incredibly rich emotion and there's something wrong there something's not right about that and i would like the two of you to respond to this in the context of nigel's work because i think you have an important response and i'm not quite sure where you'll take it but i'm pretty sure it's going to be interesting so whoever wants to start first please talk please do so
1: yeah so that's absolutely fascinating and it would be honestly it would be speculation um for me to suggest exactly um what was going on there but all i can do is relate it um to the context of nigel's work and his uh overall theory and how that might perhaps uh, be explained so Basically, and to go and to explain it properly, I think I would have to first of all define um, what how Nigel described a soul and what he actually said a soul was, and how a soul had has a certain naturalness which any artificial, robotic AI creation can never have. So Nigel uh, described a soul as a line of connection back to the state of perfection from which. All natural existence, in, in his understanding, uh, has come. So that would be a state um, of, of no force, um, perfect union, no separation, perfect freedom and complete awareness. Okay. So he expl- he he, in fact, he called that state the God verse because he didn't like to call it God, because there are so many distortions of the word God and it gets personified and anthropomorphized and all kinds of terrible stuff uh it's imbued with that we don't really want to uh impose on this state of perfection. So it's more like the Buddhist concept of a state of perfection. And um his suggestion is that all of us were once. In that state of perfection. And it would be very sensible to ask the question, well, if we all originate from perfection, why is there imperfection? And it would be ridiculous to suggest that that perfection would create imperfection just for the sake of watching the fun and seeing what's going to happen it would be i mean that would just be in in itself it suggests cruelty ruthlessness and uh, it's it just makes no sense a state of perfection would be a state of of love the same state that uh, those who have near death experiences report um at the point of death where it's such a beautiful unconditional love that they can't even describe it it's just nothing that they've ever experienced and and that's something similar to what this state would be although even that is not as amazing as it would be in its real sense because near death experiences are had from the point of view of an imperfect state. So a soul is a line of connection to that state of imperfection. And it's Nigel's suggestion that we didn't evolve to be the human beings that we are now, the species, the advanced species on this planet we are now. We devolved from that original state of perfection. Okay. Now, because we have that reference, that connection to something that's not atomic, not physical, not subject to the second law of thermodynamics, uh, everything physical in the universe is subject to wars, which John was just speaking about, entropy, everything breaks up, our bodies rot, um, you leave out a, a car out, it will go rusty, everything breaks down. But the one thing that provides order into that breaking up system, and Nigel suggests is the creator of life in that system, is the order that comes from the original state of perfection from which we came. And it's because we have that reference of that original timeless, timeless because there's no separation of points, state, that's why we are aware. If we didn't have that original reference of stillness, of timelessness, we would not be aware of the passage of time. Awareness is being aware of the passage of time. Okay? It's a reference. Okay, It's the yin and the yang. You have to have a reference of something in order to experience something else. You have to know still, have a reference of stillness to, refer, to understand the passage of past, present and future so for example a stick that's floating down a river is in time but a person standing on the river can watch the stick it can see its past present and future if you're in an airplane um you can and you and you close the shutters okay you you it feels like you're still But if you open the shutters and you can see the ground moving um, through the windows, you're aware that you're moving. Without that reference, there's no consciousness. There's no awareness. And therefore, these artificial creations, which are purely atomic and without that connection, cannot have that any sense of consciousness and awareness. So to go back to your question, which is a, a remarkable question, perhaps... What they were doing with these tones, they were tapping in, creating a frequency which somehow tapped into your brain and to to your physical um, sense of awareness through your brain and prompted and stimulated memories of emotion. Maybe they have a way, and and there have been reports that they're they're telepathic, they can control people's thinking, their minds. Maybe they have a way through frequencies of tapping into brain frequencies, and and they can replicate them somehow and use them in some way to manipulate the people they're um, abducting or interacting with to invite them into their overall agenda, which is something that we can discuss later.
2: I was thinking that
0: too. Yes, uh, John. What? Uh, what do you make of this? The biological aspects of what I was experiencing, because it's a uh, there was something bizarre about the combination of the emotional intensity and the the machine-like perfection of the delivery of the tones. And I must say, Danielle, that I I think you have described this quite accurately. I think it's the, one of the best responses. I've asked this question a number of times to other people, and it's a very good response. And so thank you for it. Um, so John, what is your response there is given your areas of expertise?
2: Well, really, to add to what Danielle has said, you said, you know, you you can we can derive emotion from sound, as you know, from listening to classical music and and other forms of music. Um, What I would possibly suggest is that this may have been an experiment in its way uh, to actually provide sounds that would stimulate parts of our psyche to generate an emotional response. Uh, And uh, to see what sort of sounds would generate what what responses, because you must bear in mind that they don't, you know, as as a camera can't see what it's viewing um, these these um, these creations really have no means of of understanding what it is they're looking at in terms of consciousness. They really don't understand consciousness. They understand that we are a resource that can somehow uh, overcome the second law of thermodynamics and they can observe us move through, uh, move through time and keep coming back without breaking down. Uh, like you were suggesting earlier, you know, with almost the photocopier effect, as they keep reproducing themselves, they, they, you get a decay of the data. But what they've noticed is that with us, we don't get a decay of that data, and they are exam. Perhaps they're examining uh, our, our emotional response to see whether, in fact, any of that can be used by them to to overcome this problem themselves.
0: We are talking to Professor John Biggerstaff and Danielle Silverman about the late Nigel Kerner's book. Gray Aliens and Artificial Intelligence, the battle between natural and synthetic beings for the human soul. And we're going to be talking shortly about that battle and what is wanted if this theory is correct. And remember, we we explore lots of theories on Dreamland. This is not the only one we've explored. We'll be right back. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it, really, for the first time. To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to UnknownCountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face?
3: Yes. That one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish and uh he didn't look he didn't look completely human, but he because he had very very thin hair almost non existent but he was young. I believe that it was kind of blonde, and he was very tall, like six at least six feet. And he was so thin that he looked kind of strange.
0: And what happened then?
3: Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been m- married for six months and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship.
0: Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more. Not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com. Plus, everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key William Henry's wonderful revelation show in its entire run, Ann Strieber's brilliant and magical, mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be, it should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition, very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are you can get it from the com store as a kindle as a beautiful sumptuous paperback or as an unabridged audiobook read by me it's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. Okay, we're back free dreamlanders and subscribers you've been with us of course the whole time and i want to ask you now uh, this question if they do not have souls but they are immortal beings and if they're machines they must be immortal or nearly so let me put it that way are able to replicate themselves why do they want souls? Well I'm that's very that's interested a, yeah. in that.
1: Yeah. Great question. And you mentioned at the start, um, I can't remember the name of it, and I wasn't familiar with it, an experiment with artificial intelligence uh, in which the um, artificial intelligence was breaking down.
0: No, uh, no, that was that's called the von Neumann machine. Oh, okay. That's Dr. John von Neumann's right. theory yes. that I would... Yes, that Nigel was aware of, because it's essentially the theory that a, a, a species sufficiently advanced could replicate itself completely and then send the replica out around a galaxy to, to look for and then colonize planets that it, uh, that it found that it could um, live on. Yes, and it's sort of a it's sort of a hybrid, an early version of Ni- Nigel's theories, really. Yeah, and that this that this is presumably is what is here, and it is not a biological ensouled entity at all, but rather a machine consciousness or a machine intelligence, I should say
1: okay okay so that was really quite interesting i don't believe nigel as far as i know did come across i don't think he came across this but it is very similar um to his ideas about artificial intelligence and the point is in an entropic universe subject to the second law of thermodynamics everything that is physical breaks down and becomes less coherent and that includes data fields, um, which would be artificially intelligent fields. So I'd like to read you actually some research that's actually in the book. um, And it talks, it's to do with um, these quantum computers, which they're now creating, quantum artificially intelligent computers, which they've had some trouble with because they can't seem to prevent decoherence. And I'll just read to you the research. So a chemist from Berkeley, uh, Bhagita Whaley, has studied the remarkable facility that living systems have to tap into the coherence of the quantum. And she says, when isolated quantum systems open up and interact with their atomic environments, they rapidly decohere. Decoherence is the main obstacle to building a quantum computer. So remember these artificially intelligent Entities uh, called the greys, that Myra believes to be artificially intelligent entities, are quantum computers, basically. Okay, somehow living states can tap into a coherent state. And the, uh, this chemist, Bagita Whaley says, and I quote, We don't understand all the details. But in the biological domain, nature does not appear to show the typical paradoxes associated with information processing in quantum physics. So there's something about living systems which has a coherence that they're not somehow not successfully managing to introduce into quantum computers. And it's that coherence that Nigel suggests that these arti- this artificially intelligent Data field, and it would be wrong in a way to call the greys beings. They don't have consciousness in Nigel's um, description. They're literally purely a data field, just like uh, a hard drive on a computer, but an extremely intelligent, extremely all pervasive data field with the most incredible capacity for um, analysis and understanding and looking at any possible algorithm. But breaking down, okay, it would not have the capacity to maintain its co- the coherence of its data forever, so yes, Nigel suggests that. yeah, so Nigel suggests that this incredibly intelligent artificial data field, which would have been programmed with two things: it would have been programmed to find as much information as possible as any artificially intelligent. Um, creation would do, and to survive. Okay, Those would be the two crucial things it would have to be uh, programmed with. Okay, So if it came across something which seemed to have this strange coherence that this chemist, Whaley talks about, a living system that somehow seems to have a capacity for eternal survivability, as, as in a soul, okay, now the only way that a, an artificially intelligent field would ever be able to detect something non-physical like a soul would be the fingerprint or the imprint it would make on the physical because it has no connection to anything non-physical. It would no way ever be able to connect with something non-physical because we can only do that because we have that connection back to the state of perfection, which is non-physical okay so they would just simply detect there's something there that has a coherence and is and is ordering um systems of chaos okay they would have especially focused on the most powerfully coherent effect fingerprint if you like and that on this planet that's us okay so if they discovered that if or if it discovered that, it would have tried to find a way to somehow network into it so that it could piggyback on that coherence, on that ability to exist eternally. And Nigel believed in reincarnation, and he believed that uh, our whole history from the beginning by, to the time we became physical. we after we became physical we came back just as the hindus and the buddhists believe lifetime upon lifetime and they would have seen fingerprints if you like of individual souls reincarnate coming back going out coming back going out coming back and they would have witnessed in that way hey just a minute there's something here that actually does survive let's see if we can imprint our data into it so that we too can last forever and I say we advisedly don't really mean we I mean so that it can persist eternally Yes,
0: it's important to understand I think Mm -hmm. that we're not dealing with individuals like us Uh, we are dealing with separate bodies that have individual characteristics I'm working on a book myself called them and in it, it points out this fact that they are not as independent as we are individually. That they are linked, and it is essentially a single incident in in being. Uh, the, the the whole thing is it's not uh, it's not a group of individuals. This is why I'm always so I'm amused when they people say, "Well, my gray is called Xerox, Xerox or something." And I don't think that – I think they make up names in order to satisfy us. I don't think these entities have have that.
1: Exactly. I think so, too. I think you're dead on there. Yeah.
0: So uh, now we have um, uh, – let me read something from the book. Just like computer hackers, the Greys can hack into – the information field of a suitable human candidate at the point of death. Now I want to unpack this terribly important statement. I think it's the, probably the sentence in the book in terms of uh, in this whole big book uh, in terms of what we need to know here. Um, So the first level is this. Uh, Now, when you say hack into the field of a suitable human candidate what is a suitable human candidate
1: okay fantastic question okay so it was nigel's idea that um quite contrary to the religious idea of there being some kind of um, arbiter at the gates of heaven who said, you go to heaven, you go to hell. And uh, yeah, nothing like that. It was his um, theory that when you die, you basically go to the place that w- at which, with which you're resonant. Okay. With you basically are exactly what you are in life. And in death, you will go to wherever you are, in the in the field of what death is a, a non-physical state in exact resonance with that so he described and it's a little bit difficult to explain it very quickly in an interview and i think really no, go he goes into it in depth time. in the book um but he, he suggested that the space between atoms was the field that we go when we die and That space between atoms, which is, um, it's best described really, if you see bubbles, so if you blow bubbles and the bubbles stick together, okay, there's kind of interface, soap bubbles, there's an interface between the bubbles, okay. The space between atoms is more like that than literally a space between, say, billiard balls, okay, in a ring formation, but again, it's really te- technical and very difficult to explain in a short time. I'll, I'll have to leave that to anyone who has time to read the book. But yeah. the space between atoms is basically the place within the atomic frame where there is less force. In the center of that space is the doorway to the God verse. It's where there's least force because um, the, the, the outer Areas of that space are closer to the atoms, and it's like there's eddies and currents of force at the edges of atoms, and there's shells of tension going towards the center, getting less and less in force. And in the very center, you have that pull, that pull of coherence, the opposite to the entropic drift, pulling towards. Yes, I was just going to say it. It it goes
0: back to what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Yes. yeah, go ahead, uh, John. You have something to add, I believe.
2: Uh, well, uh, really, really, to continue this space as as we were talking about earlier, there's uh, about two two parts to the universe. Nigel, uh, really, let let's add a uh, a little bit to this and say that the the real thesis here is that if you have uh, a place of total order then by definition, there must also, so and, and it's a singularity, it actually implies, so if you have nothing, you must have something. It implies it's opposite. And Nigel talked uh, a lot about there being two poles, there being one pole of, of total order, or Godhead as he called it, and one pole of total chaos, which we're heading towards, driven by the second law of thermodynamics, um, which is a pole of total chaos. Now, since neither can really exist on its own, whatever is between them, in other words, contains any part of both, forms the skin of what we call the universe. Within that universe uh, is, is where you get this division of um, where there is less force, such as the space between the atoms, uh, as Danielle outlined, and then you have that which is in force, which is really to do with the forces of electromagnetism and photonics, et cetera, that atoms, atoms provide. And the continuation of what Danielle was saying uh, is that any if a soul, for instance, uh, becomes restricted in their own behavior. So, you know, we are really here because we have some form of restriction that needs to be overcome so we can return to the place of total order, in other words, become unrestricted, Um, that those restrictions which conform uh, to to really areas of enforcedness within the edges of atoms, uh, this is where uh, resonant data can be really applied and, and taken up by that soul or that consciousness Um, When it when it dies so that when when, if it has to return and reincarnate, it carries that information with it, which can be an emotional load, if you like, or a drive towards a particular interest uh, in in the in the in their subsequent life. And that Nigel was talking about is the basis or part of the basis of what he called hybridization.
0: And let's get into hybridization now. Um, But before we do that, I would like to, you know, before we go on, I'm going to take the second break and I'm going to, we're going to do that free dreamlanders now, and we'll be back shortly. There's a new world coming if we can take it. What does that mean? The first part of the message is, if we can take it for ourselves on our own terms. The second part of the message is, can we bear the newness and the huge expansion of human consciousness that is going to be involved? Can we take it a new world It doesn't mince words. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly like it is. And it leaves a message behind. Can you do this? Do you want to? Do we have an alternative? Right now, at this point in history, mankind is either going to get a lot bigger or not. I choose to go forward. I choose to live for and in the future. I choose the future. A new world. We can take it. Available in hardcover, softcover, audiobook, and Kindle. UnknownCountry.com. It's huge, it's much more than just a Whitley Streber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago, Whitley Strieber audiobooks, Communion, Transformation, The Secret School, Breakthrough, Majestic, and so much more. Powerful meditations, but more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way this is what being a member of unknown country is about so go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today join us and join very frankly the future we're talking to professor john biggerstaff and danielle silverman about the late nigel kerner's book gray aliens and artificial intelligence Uh, we are the battle between natural and synthetic beings for the human soul and we have been discussing uh, i might mention here at this point there are some very powerful and brilliantly constructed plates in the book and what we are discussing is essentially plate 21 and i'm going to put an image of plate 21 up in the video at this point uh, i'm just making a note here so those watching on video can see it and those who are uh, uh, listening can go to unknowncountry.com and click on dreamland and there the illustration will also be there uh now I'm going to read from plate 21 which is is essentially what we've been talking about it is likely that the vastly superior technology of the aliens has succeeded in penetrating the most adjacent parts of the margin uh, of the physical atomic universe that lies at the edge of atoms now the reason this is important goes back to something Danielle was saying at the very beginning of the show about essentially the fall of man and our dropping out of the state of perfection. Now, I don't think we dropped out of the state of perfection by accident. I think we, at some level, a choice was made to take this journey through the physical world, and to experience entropy, which we experience every second of our lives because we are inside time. And Danielle made reference to being outside of time, which is without, it is essentially immortal. This is what they don't have and what they want from us and probably from how, however many other species like us in the universe, there could be millions of them it's and hilarious. they're out there. They're kind of like hunters seeking to capture souls for themselves. Now let's get into how they do this and what kind of souls are available for this captivity? How do they, who are they after? And how does a soul expose itself to this danger?
1: Okay, so this is why um, the, the um, Nigel's the coming of Nigel's uh, third book is really quite timely, because especially after the pandemic, um, we're heading even more into a direction of virtual living where, there's very little sense of real human value, real human contact. Uh, people are living through social media. Um, um, uh, p- kids are spending most of their time playing computer games rather than um, engaging with each other and using their imaginations. Uh, we, ha- we have a hugely, uh, ma- uh, even more materialistic outlook where um, everybody is basically identifying their entire um, Perspective in life and their goals through material success and achievement. Uh, the latest iPhone is the most incredible thing. People scream outside the stores where they've, they're bringing out the latest phone, like fans waiting for the most incredible charismatic star to arrive. And it's some piece of equipment which has a tiny little adjustment, which is absolutely nothing. But that kind of artificial outlook, which was has been. Uh, uh, accelerated I don't know how many fold by the pandemic and the lockdown so that people were forced into a situation where they had to have a kind of virtual existence. That kind of um, trajectory into the future is what is creating exactly the kind of environment that will create the kinds of psychologies which will be caught at the edges of atoms when they die basically that they're more of atoms that because their minds their motivations everything they want is physical what's not of atoms is uh, our sense of each other our sense of human fellowship and contact so um, uh, Nigel wasn't specific to Jesus and Christian thought in his ideas, but he embraced uh, the ideas of all the great teachers. But Jesus specifically said, "Whenever two or more of you are gathered in my name, I'll be there."
0: And- let's 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 reserve yeah. our conversation about Jesus yeah. to later, yeah. because yeah. I've got a lot of of thoughts and questions. Sure, sure, uh, sure. I, sure. I, I I understood some years ago how important. Some particular teachings of Jesus were, and it they're reflected in other religions too, but they are very very specific in his case, and we can without without um uh, addressing them through the lens of Christianity, et cetera, we can still we can talk about them, but we're going to go into that in detail sure. uh, a, a little later, yeah now. What I want to do now is to talk about how souls, how people, when they're alive, create situations where they are available to this. And so that when one person dies, what happens to them is what happened to my wife, which I saw with my own eyes. She ascended as she literally ascended. I saw her soul ascend and I've seen other souls. I've seen many souls actually, and I've seen some captured and in some way, and it it fits in with our ideas of heaven and hell in a kind of a way. It's not c- completely different from that, but what is it that a soul, why would they, Look, looking across the field of souls, all of them in bodies, all of them flowing through time. Would they say, "Well, this one is of interest to us. We might be able to use this one." Okay. Why would that decision be made? So,
1: so to start with, uh, I'd like to before I'd like to uh, eventually I'd like to tell you what Nigel thought about abductees, which is very different um, to those souls who are caught when they die. Quite the opposite, actually but in terms of what may have happened to your wife and um, from the sounds of it she was an incredible woman very spiritual if your if your soul if you if you're in your whole if you in your psychology your your priorities and your sense of motivation and everything that drives you in your life is on behalf of others is a sense of love for other people if you if your if that drives you in your life and is your primary motivating factor what you're doing is you're powering yourself with that connection to the godverse to that state of timelessness you're full of it in other words that state of timelessness is is because it's um it's it has no it's infinite it has no restriction it's everywhere it it's in every finite state and we only have to access it through our our will, our choices, okay? So those who choose to access it by by acting as though they were in that state, as though we were still one and not in separate bodies, as though every one of us is the same person, people who love, who care, who relate to other people and put other people first, they will be so full of that momentum, when they die, they will blast past the forces of atoms and go straight in to that the center of the space between atoms. People who are more focused in their own individuality, stuck in one place, just like atoms are stuck in one place, they will tend to go more with the entropic momentums of the universe. And when they die, they'll be, they won't be powerful enough to get past those forces at the edges of atoms. Okay? It's like a skin you have to get past, and you have to have a powerful enough launch to get past it. So those are the ones which will get caught those who identify mainly with the material world and also who get caught in the virtual state of existence, like as those societies which civilizations which would have produced the grays in the first place would have done, basically they are making us an artificial replica of what they are by uh, with, with the world that we are at least they are suggesting to us that we should become that artificial replica because we're creating the same kind of structures that uh, the individuals that produce them created. So they are the ones who will be caught. On the other hand, abductees, Nigel suggested, are those who are born into, souls who are born into intercepted, biologically intercepted lines and John will be able to describe to you how that biological interception actually works, they're born into biologically intercepted lines, but they resist it. Somehow they're not affected by it. Somehow they're breaking the circuit and they're they're not going according to plan. So abductees are taken and and worked on in in a Gray's attempt to explore what on earth is going on with these souls who are more ordered more coherent and are messing up their program
0: <laughs> that, that explains a lot yeah. I, yeah. I have a feeling that practically every experiencer listening to this is laughing their head off yeah. right now yeah. because i i know it 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 resonates with me and yes. okay uh john let's go to you now and let's talk about the biology of this a little bit uh as uh danielle was suggesting
2: right well, let's start by saying that you know we've got two two parts to one's existence here. We have the the soul part or the consciousness, which is not truly in physicality. It, it actually attaches uh, to it, but we've we've also got the transition of data within the physical system, and this, of course, is part of our genetic line, and so. In a true way, we have the sins of the fathers being visited upon the child in that when you come back into a reincarnation state, it may not be uh, it. It is often a compromise uh, of effect. In other words, your your parents, they're coming from a uh, they they are part of that line, too. But their actions during their life may compound or make things uh, make things worse as a cradle for you to come into, and when you come in you're you you're sometimes you you've actually got part of them within you so you this is something that you can overcome uh or you have to live with and if in fact part way back in one's genetic line um or even closer uh, people have actually become susceptible to, uh, to being taken over, if you like, or being, being affected in a biochemical way, and we can talk about that too, then unfortunately you're going to have to adopt that and overcome it. And those people who are powerful enough can come in and actually alter the status of that, uh, of that DNA because uh, recombination when in the embryo um you get a you get a chance to actually put your own uh potential within that and and when you do if you're a more powerful soul you can affect that more profoundly and overcome it and i think that that is what they are detecting when and uh, their program is not no longer working and therefore they deliberately go in and try to pick up those people and go what's what's actually going on here of course they can never fully understand it because they can't get to the the consciousness behind the whole thing, but as Danielle said, you are still looking at the fingerprints that you leave in the universe, and this is what they they try to analyze.
0: Now you mentioned uh, affected uh, uh, the biology of this. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, Nigel wrote quite a quite a bit about. Um, really the way in which uh, the greys can influence us in terms of trying to put, trying to enable our physical system to be more receptive to the data signals that they want to put in. And of course, this has been going on for many, many thousands of years. And um, what they what they seem to have done is really if. There's a lot of what we call junk DNA within our within our genome. So only a certain small part of it codes for the proteins that make us up. The rest of this so-called junk is partly what they can then they've inserted different sequences into us, which tend to be. Um, almost sort of like randomizing agents. They're really some of these things are not really containing full information. We have things called trinucleotide repeats, etc., which can actually grow on their own and multiply and and actually compound the complexity of the DNA structure. And DNA not only does it have a primary sequence which codes for proteins, but it also has a profound effect on what we call a biofield, and and. You know, a biofield really is a tripartite structure, which is which contains partly the influence of the consciousness on the way in which atoms can talk to each other. So it it sets up symmetries within a biological system and the the addition of these randomizing factors can actually cause that to, to begin to break down. And that then if you start to lose this coherence, then your ability to think and to and to to act with a wide perspective tends to decrease. And that is necessary so that you can you don't then have the energy in the end to punch through that hole when you die. And therefore, you sort of bounce back with part of their information within you. And it's really a method. It's part of the mechanism of, of capture
0: now when that capture occurs what does the soul experience how does that feel and how does that experience play out in the life of a soul um danielle you look like you're ready to answer yeah
1: okay okay so basically those souls who at the point of death are unable to pass through that skin that at the edges of atoms, which is there that, if you like, there's an in-between between between the perfection of the God verse and the physical state. There's like a a stage, a a section in between where there's stages of more force to less force. And those souls who are unable to go through that skin and are captured at the edges of atoms will be unable To follow the natural path, we spoke about reincarnation, and Nigel firmly believed in reincarnation. They'll be unable to follow the natural pathway of reincarnation because they're held and trapped in the force at the edges of atoms, which Nigel believed to be amplified by the technology that the Greys have. They can make that force even greater. Okay, so at that point, The greys themselves can be the architects of a future incarnation, and that's where hybridization comes in. They can force the individual soul into a new body, and that would be a hybrid body, using their technology to help to control the DNA to make the new body. And that's where, that is the scenario in which genetic interception happens. It doesn't happen in abduction. It can't happen in abduction because you've already got your DNA prospectus by the time you're abducted. And anyway, those who are abducted are not susceptible to this, as I explained earlier. But yes, which is why they
0: are abducted, too, too. Yes. yeah I understand. Yes. Now, of uh, free dreamlanders, normally we end the show at this time. but a lot of people who can't afford for one reason or another to subscribe to unknowncountry.com need to know this. And so the subscribers who, for whom I am so grateful are going to support your present, your continued presence in this show, because this is, this is important. As important, I think, as it can be, because I think we're talking about something here that has to do with the fate of souls. And I wouldn't say that we're right. But I think that there's a good possibility that that they are right, that these two, that Danielle and John are right, and that Nigel Kerner had figured something out here that's very important. Okay, on that note, we're just going to simply continue on into the third half hour. Uh, and I urge you, as always, if you can subscribe, afford to subscribe, uh, Free Dreamlanders, one of one of the best things you can do to work toward deeper understanding of where we are with all of this is to participate in unknown country because there are lots of close encounter witnesses and abductees on the site who are not subject to this this process that's why they're there that's why I've gathered them there us there the, that's what the site is for okay now uh you have a reaction, John. I can see it. Hmm. There's something you want to say. Is that correct, or am I wrong?
2: Uh, no, I was just wondering what, what wonderful question you're going to have.
0: <laughs> okay, well, what I want to do now is I want to go into the Jesus material. Now, we touched on that earlier, and... We, uh, I, I want to, you probably don't know, I've written a book called Jesus in New Vision, which I referred to earlier, and I wrote it to detach the teachings from the religion, not to disparage the religion at all. I mean, I think the religion is perfectly legitimate, but it's also true that the teachings are important to, to everyone whether they are and and you can make you understand and make use of those teachings uh using that book whether you are an atheist an agnostic a buddhist a christian uh a muslim anything now why are these teachings so important and what value do they have uh the, the um to the individual who is seeking to die into that timelessness between the between the where where the borders of uh, of the physical world don't quite meet, and that's what we're trying to do. Let's talk about the Jesus teachings and their relevance here and I just want one of you to start it's going to be you Danielle I can see it in your face again
1: (laughs) yeah I mean I'd like I'd also like to say that I have actually read that book and it's absolutely magnificent and I love your focus on um Jesus how Jesus pointed people towards finding within themselves um these values and uh, a sense of what Nigel would call the God verse and is referred to in the Bible as heaven rather than following another individual and 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 just uh, going on their pathway. I think that's so right that he, he, uh, Jesus, and I think Nigel um, saw this too, he encouraged his um, apostles, and this is all in the Nag Hammadi texts that aren't actually in the Bible, to go further than him. Okay, he didn't. He said, "Don't focus on me. Go further than me," because he knew that we had to find in ourselves um, this sense of grandeur and power, and tap into that soul line of connection back to that state of perfection that every individual has. But um, the interesting thing about Jesus, and we can talk later about the Shroud of Turin, which you go in in great detail in well, your let's book. Let's
0: do yes,
1: yeah, yeah, and and of course. Um, everything all the latest research does suggest that this was indeed the most genuine phenomenon and it might well identify Jesus's teachings as possibly the clearest we can uh, get to an understanding of what can take us to his state of transfiguration back into the godverse he was he has shown the most uh, he's proven the most powerful transformation Through the space between atoms into the center of the space between atoms, such that he converted his own body into light, which is the ultimate, okay, which might suggest, and in my opinion, does suggest, and in Nigel's opinion, does suggest that his teachings are a Rosetta Stone for how we too could do that. Now, the very interesting thing um, which Nigel talks about in his book is that Jesus actually, in the Nakamadi texts, um, referred to what seems to be the same thing as these gray alien visitors and warned his apostles about what to do if they came across them. And I'm just going to read something uh, from the book that I have ready here. Okay. So um, let me just see. It's in the first apocalypse of James in the Nakamadi codex. Okay. And the Nakamadi codex for those who don't know are some, uh, some papyrus, uh, rolls of papyrus that were found by some shepherd boys in a cave okay um uh, uh, maybe uh 50 years ago okay and they weren't known well, about before then
0: let me just stop you for a yeah, second it was yeah. in a very important year Yeah, yeah it was the year 1947 okay those that was found in 1947 right because the visitors began to manifest into our world physically in 1947 the two things are connected
1: yeah Yeah. but go ahead and you'll
0: and she's going to tell you why they're connected right now
1: yeah yeah fascinating i never made that connection okay so um in the first apocalypse of james jesus explains to the apostle james how to cope if he is faced with um their representatives as he the Greys' representatives that he called in the nakamadi they're called the archons okay Um, as he, Jesus, was in the desert of Judea. And this is a quote, okay? James, behold, I shall reveal to you your redemption. When you are seized and you undergo these sufferings, a multitude will arm themselves against you, that they may seize you. And in particular, three of them will seize you. They who sit there as toll collectors, not only do they demand toll, but they also take away souls by theft. Okay, Jesus describes these entities as toll collectors, perhaps because through their genetic interceptions into tracks that trace our lines back to our origins in a non physical state, they make it necessary for us to pay an extra price at each juncture of our journey back to the source, an effort that would not be required uh, had the genetic modifications not taken place. He then adds that these beings also take away souls by theft. What better way to describe alien abduction? He then instructs James to inform these entities of his origins in the state of what is called pre-existence. When you come into their power, one of them, who is their guard, will say to you, Who are you or where are you from? You are to say to him, I am a son and I am from the father. And he will say to you, what sort of son are you? And to what father do you belong? You are to say to him, I am from the pre-existent father and a son of the pre-existent one. So taking away souls by Yeah.
0: This is so important that this concept of the pre-existent one, this is the one that was before space-time. And this is where we want to go. This is our journey is to return to that state filled with the promise and and beauty of life, including all of its hardships and all of its wonders. That's what we are. That is what we are being asked to take home. And this is where somebody wants to interrupt and take that instead. Um, he also writes in the book, the, this, uh, one of the things that first uh, made me take notice of Jesus more seriously was that he was asking for nothing material, no collection boxes, no enhancement of his material status. He did not want the Rolls Royce of camels or the state-of-the-art carpenter's pad at the edge of the Mediterranean. He was asking for simple mental inflection. It fascinated me so much that I had to know where the root of its power lay. And then he says, strangely and even bizarrely, it took my research into the veracity of the UFO phenomenon to see what he was really talking about. Now, he then goes on. uh, Was he trying to say that the value of everything in the world of space, time and matter depends on and has its root in the strength of ideation and not the power of the physical. This is so critical because it gets to that space between atoms, the, which in, in uh, physics is called the Planck length. It is the sh- sh- smallest possible space that can exist. This space is the gate of heaven.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: This yes. is yes. where we go. Mm-hmm. When we leave the physical and when I saw Annie ascending into that extraordinary blue that she ascended into, that's where she was going. Yeah, And that's where every single one of us is, should be destined to go. Mm-hmm. And the journey of the close encounter witnesses is to bear witness to this possibility, I think. And I'm not even, terribly interested in what the greys want or don't want. What I am interested in is how do we get there? So give us some ideas. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know it's a difficult question, but go ahead. Well, I, uh, John, you, you seem to be ready. Re- you're both ready to talk. So why don't you yeah, think- I think we, okay. think we both are. But one of
2: the biggest messages um, that really Jesus left us was, um, you know, in, in today's society, we have this real problem with what we call truth, etc. And in fact, you know, most people would would nowadays because they don't believe in souls, etc. I think that all truth is conditional. And really, we're, we're walking in this sort of maelstrom of effect, not knowing whether or not we're getting better as human beings or worse as human beings, because there isn't really a yardstick to 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 point at to, to say whether we're we're doing right or wrong. And really, the thing that really comes from the Bible um, is is the concept of a, of a compass, a moral compass, if you like. And what he came really to show was how you can use a simple set of rules. And Nigel outlines these in, in his book, a simple set of rules by which you can work out whether or not you're going towards the God interface, if you like, or towards the, the chaotic interface. And that very, very simple thing is what's called addition or subtracting. If you find that you can interrupt uh, interact with other people and actually bring add to their lives and add to the way in which human beings associate with each other to to actually bring addition rather than making your actions produce subtraction, which points you the other way. It actually gives you a compass so that you know where you are and you know how best to drive your life. And it's, you know, these concepts that Jesus put forward and Nigel is expounding upon for you know in in a mo- in a modern context are really are really the most profound things one can take with oneself to to actually work out you know what what is right and what is wrong and what should you do in any any particular situation
1: but sorry to if I could just come in there so i think what it's also it is important although the ideally our only focus is how we get to where your wife went through that blue through that into that wonderful state of uh of beauty that she would have gone to but i think it's also important to understand the uh gray agenda and what they want from us because really that's what we are actually replicating and producing now and in order to understand the values and the focus that's necessary in order to Get through into that beautiful place, we have to be be wary and be aware of the way in which our world is going towards an artificial existence away from that place that's mirroring what these grey aliens are and mirroring the civilization um, that actually produced them. And if you look at near-death experiences, my my basically what drives me most of all. Is what I've heard in near death experiences because people in a near death experience talk about a life review. And in that life review, um, what's revealed, what they see is only the moments at which they've uh, made somebody feel wonderful, improved their life, increased their sense of freedom. And they feel that magnified thousands of times every moment they've done that in their life. And also the times when they've made somebody else suffer and hurt somebody else. And that's magnified a thousand times as well. And they're amazed by the fact that anything that w- they may have considered significant, let's say a job promotion, a prize, an academic prize, academic qualifications, um, financial success, anything like that, it's just not even doesn't exist it's not even on the agenda of the life review the only thing that matters is how they have related to other people and for me that life review is the essence of what we really are when we die we're not anything else all we are is what we've done for done to help other people or to hinder other people that that makes our identity so everything else and if if you look at the world now Um, with everybody so invested in uh, social media, uploading everything about themselves online, living through it and and, and looking at other people's reactions to them. That's all self-oriented. It's all looking at what you can get from the world and not giving out to reach others. And if we go in that focus, which is what the... Alien agenda would push us towards to bring us into their perspective so they so we, they can catch us in their system if we follow that momentum, we won't be able to break through into that beautiful light.
0: You know Anne summed it up magnificently when I asked her what compassion is and her reply was simply and my listeners know this most of them and if you didn't hear haven't heard it before and you're hearing it first now never forget it she said simply each of us is all we have and when you think that when you're in the presence of another person that person becomes so vulnerable and so beautiful and you can see anyone on the street corner anyone and you see how they're trying and that sensibility is the key to the blue Mm -hmm. to the gate it opens the gate and you get out of here and you don't have to deal with these poor entities and with what we haven't spoken about at all which is the terrible weight upon the souls that created them. For that is in the universe too. They weren't, they were created. And those souls have that to face and have probably been facing it for millions of years. We talk about the fall of man, but there's another fall. That is back there somewhere too. Sure. But let's let let let's go on though. We've got a little, only a little time left, and we were going to talk about the Shroud of Turin, which is one of my favorite subjects. And the reason is that Jesus said that if he was not heard, he would return as a thief in the night. And in 1898. Uh, the first photograph of the shroud was taken and lo and behold, there he was. He's returned. He's here yeah. in the form of that photograph. Yes. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the what was happening, what this energy was that caused him to rise out of the tomb in another form? And we're not even going to go down the road. If you wanna go down the road of why, we know that to be true just read the chapter of the on the shroud in jesus a new vision if you can't afford the book send subscribers at unknowncountry.com a request and i'll send you the chapter so go ahead let's talk about the shroud
1: okay so john do you want to explain how how or shall i you go okay so um if you it was nigel's suggestion that as i explained before we didn't evolve into the species human species we are now we devolved from a prior state of perfection okay so in that prior state we were not physical okay now the thing about that state of perfection is that in a state of perfection you have perfect awareness okay of all things and complete freedom to choose anything because there's no limit. There's no, there can't be limit in perfection. And it would be a very sensible question to ask why on earth we would choose or anything would choose in perfection. It makes no sense. If you look at it on the face of it, why would that be the case? So Nigel's explanation for it is this, if there really is perfect freedom, there has to be the freedom to explore imperfection too. And if there really is complete awareness, there has to be awareness of imperfection as well as perfection. So our existence in an imperfect physical universe is a logical and implicit result of that natural state of perfection. There's no God who created us and put us here and then required us to behave in a certain way. It's an implicit result of just the nature of existence itself. And Nigel um, suggested that the vast majority of what explored that state of imperfection went back perfection okay and scientists say i can't identify 95 percent of the matter in the universe that's the dark matter and dark energy even to this day they have no clue where it is or what it is okay and nigel has quite a unique idea about that and he says that's the, the, the souls who went back And chose and decided oh no this is just not for us this is terrible i'm going back okay which would be the natural momentum especially before we got into such a a, a extremely high level of entropy and force that we're in now okay these were pre-physical beings they were only just exploring the first edges of physicality okay but if you look at Let's say you can use the model of a beach to see how some got caught, the 5% that got caught. And if you look at the tide going out on a beach, when the tide um, comes in and goes out again, you get this foamy stuff on the edges of the sand. Okay? And that foamy stuff is created by the irregularities in the sand that catches some of the water and spins it around a bit. When it comes when it, when it when it comes in and goes out again, we are that foam, okay, and the sand and its irregularities are the chaos of the universe, so the the universe of imperfection is chaotic it's not there, there are and that's why it's imperfect there's an element of chaos, so some of that expression of perfection into the universe of parts got caught, okay, and that's our line that's how we trace our line back we were part of that foam. so the original man that uh, was a pre-human uh, type of being was maybe a being made of light that could uh, it could be, it could know exact. it was one whole group type being, not individuals like we are now, which now we're trapped in our own heads because we have physical bodies. In that stage, they would have known each other's thoughts. Everybody would have been far closer and there would have been no problems with lack of empathy. Then as time got on and the universe of parts and entropy went further and further along, there was more force. Those who were still caught maybe became some kind of hydrogen type being okay so and like a gas and eventually as we got became more and more caught we became more solid and actually consolidated into individual physical identities where we're in a state where we no longer automatically know what each other's thinking and feeling and there's a problem with empathy and we tend to be selfish and to uh, follow our own self pathways for our own Individual benefit because we're simply not aware if and unless we have powerful enough souls to be aware anyway, but we're not aware as much of each other's sense of identity and what, what what each other are feeling and thinking. Okay, and we became more and more caught. The original light beings, Nigel suggested that light that made their bodies is actually what atoms are made of. So atoms are simply frozen light he said. And I think well, that's as exactly far as I understand, what
0: Einstein said. Yes, Einstein said yes. that, that matter is energy slowed down.
1: Yeah, exactly. The
0: kiddo- critical phrase here is yes. slowed down. Yes.
1: Yes. And we
0: want to speed up. Yes. This is about speeding up. I mean, that's why I exist. I'm here to help people speed up. And so you, yes. so are you guys and yes. everyone like you. Sure. All of us are sure. here. We're speeder uppers. Yeah. Um, all right. So
2: if you speed up the entire atomic frame of a body and you're, you're able to have enough symmetry within within you to be able to turn all of those atoms back into what they were originally made of to restore what that light being is, then the difference between the uh, lack of force, if you like, the symmetry and coherence of that light being compared with the force of of the atomic frame like the Earth is, Um, that difference is absolutely vast in terms of energy. As you can quite see, part of it is described by Einstein, but this is going the whole way. And to actually take things right back to a zero-point interface within the universe, that amount of, of energy is truly vast. And as as Andrew Silverman pointed out uh, in his book, this happened in like a femtosecond, a very, very small amount of time. This incredible amount of energy was was generated and and the the, the shroud was exposed to this um, to this energy, but for an incredibly short amount of time.
1: So he reversed the process. He reversed He reversed the process. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly
0: right. He reversed the process, showing us all that it can be done. Absolutely. And when he said that you have to believe in me in order to gain eternal life, what he was saying was you have to believe that this is possible and yeah. that you don't have to rise from the dead. We don't generally do that. But you have to understand these possibilities and live in such a way that you are truly light in, in in terms of your relationship to the physical world when you die, and you will become a light, light being. <laughs> That's what'll indeed. happen.
2: Yes. yes. Indeed.
0: Now, here's where I want to close out. Uh, we're getting toward the end of the show. Nigel writes in chapter 13, appropriately numbered, I think. Now, which way will it all unfold? Will we humans evolve into machines or will the machines walk as humanoids? I predict for what it's worth that we humans will overwhelmingly take on the technological imperatives and gifts given to us by the greys and lose our natural God-given connection to eternal existence. That is why I am here, and why you are here, and why a lot of the abductees are here. We are about not letting that happen. Absolutely. And it is going to happen, and is happening, to many millions of people who are completely passive and unaware of this and completely in in invested in the material world that is like being fascinated by and completely concentrated on a little shack full of trash at the edge of a magnificent garden and I wish to choose the garden personally, and I think you do too. And I think my listeners do too. So I want to thank the both of you for taking us through Nigel's book. And I bet you Nigel's happy too, because you can do this so very well. I think that if, if, only if he himself could have been here, could this have been done perhaps better. Oh, but good. I don't see how. I think you did beautifully.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you
0: Whitley. very much really. Well, I must say pleasure. this has
1: been an incredible interview and uh, your you also everything you have said is uh, just absolutely magnificent and uh, yeah I agree with everything you said about now, your I ideas like... of how it all works.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, let me let me ask you a question. Um, we're going to your show is going to uh run uh on um uh on january the 13th can one or both of you come at 7 p.m. your time on saturday january the 21st to talk about this with our subscribers live on our zoom on our zoom
3: sure uh, they
0: they will basically ask questions
1: sure no problem absolutely
0: Excellent. Then subscribers, on the 21st, you will get to bring your questions to John and Danielle, or one of them. I'm not sure if you can both come, but if you can, uh, fine. And if not, then it, Danielle has committed, and so she's stuck I'm, I'm fine, too. Mm-hmm. You, too. Okay, great. Yeah, absolutely. So you'll both be here on the 21st at 7 o'clock British time, 11 o'clock in the morning. California time and all the time zones in between for an hour of Q and A. And so folks save up your questions. They're going, that's going to be a very important Q and A John and Danielle. Thank you so much for being with us on dreamland.
1: More than a pleasure. Thank Thanks you. For really the invitation. This on. <laughs>
2: thank you really.
0: You've been listening to dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.